the Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 21st chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples saying, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Then the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Well, Hosanna. Happy Palm Sunday. Hosanna. Hail Jesus, the King over all and our King. It's our day to celebrate what Jesus is doing for us and what Jesus has for us, specifically his rule of love. And so my prayer is that his peace abides with you, the peace that Jesus our King gives, that his peace abides with you this day and always. Well, it's Palm Sunday, and, uh, and it's different, again, because we're, we're not together physically and we don't have the chance um, to see the kids parading around and to celebrate, but we know that they are celebrating, and we know that we are joining our hearts in that celebration, not just with the people of Cornerstone, but with people throughout the world who are all rejoicing in what Jesus Christ has done. But today I want to talk about plans. And I want to talk about the plans of Palm Sunday. And I want to talk about plans in general just to start. You know, you know right now we are, uh, we're in the midst of a lot of broken plans, right? Plans are made and plans end up needing to be changed just a short while later as we continue to learn and as this situation continues to evolve. And I know that I'm going to push a sore spot for some of you. You start to think about all the plans that have changed. Plans that a couple have made. Plans for a, for a wedding ceremony. And then the world seems to crumble around and those plans need to be changed. Plans, plans that families made. This was supposed to be the start of, of spring break week, plans that families had made, maybe for a trip to Florida. And then the plans needed to be changed as the situation crumbled around them. There are lots of plans that have been made and plans that have been changed, things that have needed to be canceled, things that we thought we were all set with and now they've changed. And when we see that happen, we can start to get pretty down, can't we? We can start to say, boy, boy, it seems like everything is changing in these plans and we can start to get really down. But, but remember, this isn't a new situation. This isn't a new situation where the plans that we make get confused and broken because of the crumbling world around us. Plans change. In fact, we have, a, we have a statement, right? The best laid plans of mice and men often go awry. 
That's a line from, uh, from a poem by a, by a man named Robert Burns. And it was written in the 1780s, long before today. And yet it's something that we've quoted to ourselves and we've quoted to each other for quite a while. The best laid plants of mice and men often go awry. In fact, we, we usually just leave that last part off because we know it so well. The best laid plants of mice and men. That became the title of a book by John Steinbeck in the 1930s. The best laid plans of mice and men often go awry. It's true in our world. It's true in the midst of, of our situation today. It's, it's true. His plans are only as good as the one who's making them. And the truth is, we make plans and that's appropriate. But when we make plans and we, we expect them to be adhered to, it means that we believe we can control everything around them. We can't. And so the best laid plans, mice and men often go awry. Well, now, now I want to take you into the text of Palm Sunday from John 12. And I want you to remember that the disciples, they were making plans as well. The disciples had, had a sense of what was about to happen. They had a sense of what they wanted to happen in the life of Jesus. They, they thought they knew, they, they thought they had an idea of what Jesus should be and the way that he should go about doing that. And so Palm Sunday seemed to fulfill a lot of their plans. After all, Palm Sunday, it's coronation time. It's the moment, it seems, when Jesus is finally going to seize what otherwise should be his. It's not going to be without challenge. But it's coronation time. And as he rides into Jerusalem triumphantly that day, as he rides into Jerusalem in the midst of all the things that are happening in the city around the Passover time, in the midst of all of that, Jesus is sending, well, almost all of the right signals. Right? The palm branches and cloaks that are being laid down. This is reminiscent of a victory march of a commemoration of great victory in battle. This is what the people did, saying, this is our leader. This is our hero. And they were doing this for Jesus. They were laying down palm branches and shouting out, Hosanna. And Hosanna is a phrase, a peculiar phrase in Hebrew that means, Lord, save us. And it has that ending at the end, please. But Hosanna had become a, a statement for them of their nation. It was a, it was a battle cry. It was, a, it was part of that victory march where everyone was saying, this is who we are. Hosanna, we are the Lord's people. And the Lord is sending us a new king. And their anticipation was that this king would usher in a new, a new era, a new time like, like David. And maybe even greater. A new time of, of prosperity for the Israelite people. And that he would overthrow the Romans. Jesus was sending all the right signals. And you might say, but he was riding on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And a donkey? Is that the right signal? Well, in part, yes. And while we may expect Jesus to ride in on a war horse, a triumphant horse, we might expect him to send that signal. But the truth is, in the Old Testament, the donkey and the mule were also things that princes rode. Solomon himself rode one after he became king. David's sons, the other sons of David, also rode mules and donkeys. It wasn't unusual. He was signaling that he was a different king, to be sure, one that was humble and not one that was lofty. But they were accepting the same, these signs, these, these symbols. They knew because this is what they'd been waiting for. This is what they'd been anticipating. This is what they thought Jesus should do. This is the coronation moment. And this is the moment when Rome is finally going to be overthrown. 
And if not Rome, at the very least, King Herod. The very least, the one who had been a usurper. The one who, who truly didn't belong as their king and yet was made their king and so were forced to submit to him. And they thought maybe Jesus was the one who would overtake King Herod at the very least and maybe even Rome. And as they saw this, they were ready for Jesus to be king. They'd been anticipating this. They'd been anticipating Jesus coming forward. In fact, they'd been they had been anticipating it so much that they had even asked, remember the request of the sons of Zebedee, the sons of, of Thunder? Can we sit at your right and at your left when you come into your kingdom? They were ready. They were already divvying up positions in the new kingdom. And they knew that it would take a fight. They, they knew that it would be hard. If you remember, Thomas had said, come, let's go up to Jerusalem with him that we also might die with him. They were ready for a fight. They just wanted Jesus to start the plan, put it into place. They were ready for the coronation moment. These, these were the plans of the disciples. And plans are only as good as the ones who make them. We know the rest of the story, but they didn't. In fact, John lets us know in the midst of our text, he lets us know what they did and didn't know. In verse 16, he says, at first, his disciples did not understand all this. He didn't understand all the things. They didn't understand all the things that had happened Listen, only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. And so they understood these signs in one way, but not as a fulfillment of the Old Testament, not as a sign that this is what Messiah, the Savior anointed by God, would do. It wasn't until after he was glorified, until after his crucifixion and resurrection, that they would understand that these things had been said and done. The disciples' plans were only as good as the ones who made them. And after it all happened, they had a chance to reflect back and to realize God's plans, that God's plans were different than theirs. They had a chance to reflect. Remember that. But we realize that there's more going on than Palm Sunday. We realize that, that if we see this and understand it from the disciples' perspective, then we set up this contrast between God's plans and the plans, the plans of humanity. Between God's plans and what God wants to have happen and what people want to have happen. And God's plans are different than ours, right? We know that to be true because God sees all, God knows all, and so his plans are complete. And in fact, we, we often turn to a place like, like Isaiah 55, 8, Isaiah 55, 8 says, for I, I, I know, uh, for my thoughts, excuse me, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, and neither are my plans your plans. Or for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. Right? That's his declaration. His declaration is his thoughts and his ways, his plans are different than ours. Now, I hear people misquote this all the time, and it's really one of my pet peeves. I hear people misquote Isaiah 55 all the time, and, and I believe they're well-intentioned, and I, I think I know what they're trying to say. I've even heard preachers misquote it. I, I've heard preachers say this to congregations. If you want to hear God laugh, tell them your plans. Again, I, I understand the sentiment behind that. I understand what the preacher is trying to say. I understand what we are trying to say when we say that to one another. But the truth is, I want you to think about the picture that that paints of God. God calls himself our father. 
What, what type of parent? And their child came to them and told them something that, that wasn't outlandish. Again, again, keep it in perspective. All of our plans aren't outlandish. What kind of a parent would laugh in the face of their child? Correct? Lead? Speak truth? Certainly. But laugh in their face? What kind of a picture is that painting of our God? No, I, I don't believe that God laughs in the face of our plans. But I do believe that his ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. And I believe that he places in us, as the New Testament says, the mind of Christ to search even the deep things and to understand the context of Isaiah 55 is to understand that, the, that, that Isaiah is even saying that our plans are too small. And that we anticipate one thing and God actually has something different and greater in mind. And yes, to be sure, he also speaks of plans that are made in sin. We make those plans too, don't we? We, we make those plans. When we seek our own way and we seek our own, our own path and we do things that benefit us, especially at the expense of other people. And we do things that glorify us rather than God. Then our plans are contrasted. And those sins are things that need to have truth spoken to them. They need to make us crumble in their midst to say, Lord, I'm sorry for the ways that I've sought my way in the world rather than yours. But, but it's not always like that, you see. That God actually calls us to be about his work in the world, which requires plans. And when those godly plans are made, we are seeking God's ways. And things might change. But we place ourselves in God's hands and say, Lord, use me and mold me as you see fit. And so we stay open to the plans that God is making and the ways that God might change those plans. Think, think even of the situation in which we find ourselves. We're here, we can't worship together in the same way. It's not the way that we would have planned it. And yet God still continues to draw us to other people even if it's virtually in the time of social distancing, to draw us together and God's word is still present for us, that it hasn't been taken away, but that it's still there so that we might know the plans that God is making. See, Palm Sunday is about God making and fulfilling plans. It's about the plans that God makes and it goes far beyond Jesus being a parochial king. Jesus is a king. Oh, be sure of that. Jesus is a king. In fact, he is the king of kings. And that isn't what the people of the day thought. They, they weren't understanding it that way. They were just thinking, oh, maybe he'll come and overthrow Rome. Maybe he'll come and be our king here in Israel. Maybe, maybe he'll come and usher in a new kingdom like David's. Maybe he'll come, but he was more. You see, God had something greater in mind. And Jesus lets us know that. In fact, as we keep going in the text, we immediately see these words from the Pharisees. And they say to one another in the midst of this entire celebration, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. That this is more than a parochial king, that this is more, this is the king of kings. And Jesus, Jesus himself will speak into the situation because then he's going to predict his very death. We have, we have the whole picture. And so we know what that means. We know why Jesus rides into Jerusalem. 
But we know that Jesus is right on plan. And it's God's plan. And the plan is as good as the one who's making it. And how good is the God who's making this plan? And so what does this mean? Well, the plan, first of all, the plan actually involves you. No, no, not that you're inserted into the story as one of the people, not, not as if you're there that day or, or your celebration somehow brings Jesus. No, no, it's, it's about more than that. It's about God's plan, and God's plan involves you. Stick with me for a second. Palm Sunday, just like the other events of the life of Jesus, is about God's plan of salvation, and God's plan of salvation includes everyone. Think of another event from Jesus' life, right? Think of, uh, think of Christmas and, uh, and the coming, the arrival of the Magi, the wise men who come after Jesus is born. And when they come, they come asking, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? But on that day, we celebrate, we celebrate the, the angelic message on the evening of Jesus' birth. And the angelic message is peace on earth to those on whom his favor dwells. And we begin to realize that this Jesus is about far more than just being the king of Israel, right? We talk about that around the time of, of Christmas and Epiphany. But what do the, the wise men do when they find Jesus? Upon coming to the house, they present him with gifts and they bow down and worship him. This Jesus is for them also. We call it the Gentile Christmas, the recognition that Jesus has come for all Jew and Gentile to be the savior of the whole world. That's what we're reminded of at Palm Sunday. It reminds us of the very same thing. The Pharisees saying, look, the whole world has gone after him. It had started at his birth. And now it continues through Palm Sunday. And the very next part of the text then is at the festival, the festival that they're there for, the Passover festival. There were some Greeks who were there, some believing Greeks. The Greek believers asked to see Jesus. You see, this is teaching us something. It's teaching us that the plan involves all, which means the plan involves us. That God's plan is the salvation of the whole world. That God's plan is salvation for us. And though we might make plans to go astray, though we might make plans to try to save ourselves another way, this is God's plan. And the plan is as good as the one who is making it. And he says to us, you can't save yourself. There is no plan that you can concoct, no matter how righteous you might think it is. So brothers and sisters, Watch as God's plan unfolds. It unfolds beginning at Palm Sunday because Jesus kicks into gear the plan of salvation. He kicks into gear the plan which will result in his crucifixion by the end of the week. And again, as we follow the text, we know what will happen. They'll think that Palm, they'll think, excuse me, that Good Friday is the final word, that his death on the cross is the end, and there will be grief. There'll be loss, there'll be tears. And the devil will think that he has the final word. But that's not the conclusion of God's plan. 
God's plan includes Easter Sunday. God's plan is the plan for the salvation of the world, that death wouldn't have the final word. God's plan is the fulfillment of salvation, the plan that involves you and me, that Jesus Christ has paid the price and sealed the deal for you and for me, that we are forgiven of our sins, that we will live and dwell eternally because God has made a plan for your salvation. And the plan is as good as the one who made it. We have lots of plans that are being changed these days. Some of it brings tears. And some of it, in an unexpected way, brings joy. As We draw closer to each other and our families as we have opportunity to, to think through things in a different way and to be reminded of what's truly important. So we have a way to be reminded that God's word is still accomplished among us, that God's plan is still righteous and perfect, that God's plan of salvation involves you and it involves me. So plans of the world fail, but God's plan never does because a plan is only as good as the one who makes it. And God is perfect. And so is his plan of salvation for you. And may that plan encourage and sustain you during this time as we, as we walk the path of Jesus, as we see what he does for you and for me, as he is crucified, as he is buried, and as he rises again, as God's plan of salvation is fulfilled. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, amen. And hear these words, may the peace of God, which transcends all human understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, amen.